Hello, everyone. You're listening to the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for joining me. My name's Paul Burge, and I'm the host for this podcast all about Spain, Spanish life and Spanish culture. Coming up in this week's When in Spain, I'll be chatting to travel journalist and host of the Big Travel podcast, Lisa Francesca Nand. Now, Lisa grew up in Spain from the age of seven, and she's going to be recalling her childhood memories of life on the Costa del Sol. It's just the stuff of dreams, really, looking back on it. We had so much freedom and so much sunshine. On weekends and on holidays, we'd drive to Tarifa, and we'd been camping in the sand dunes, which you could do back then. We'd just go feral, you know, we didn't wear shoes. And Lisa's also going to be sharing her favourite places in Malaga City and indeed the wider Costa del Sol. If you can imagine a whitewashed, tiny little Spanish village, but it's built within the castle walls. And it's next to this incredibly sea green, teal green reservoir and the views, just 360 views from this castle. And it's just the most incredible, really, really special place. She'll also be talking about what it's like owning a second home in Spain and how she divides her time between London and sunny Los Boliches on the Costa del Sol with her young family. One of the perils, as it were, of having a second home is it means you always <laughs> want to go there so you don't go to other places. So I don't know whether that's a pro or a con of having a second oh, home. It, has, it sounds very ungrateful. So that's all up ahead. Stay tuned if you'd like to be whisked away to southern Spain. Uh, but before all of that good stuff, I'd just like to give a special shout out and a big gracias to all of the new and current When in Spain patrons who are supporting this podcast, without whom, I might add, um, this podcast probably would not exist anymore. So big, big, big thank you to all of the current When in Spain patrons and if you enjoy this podcast and you think it's worth a few dollars of your money each month to help support the show, um, please do consider becoming a When in Spain patron. Uh, you can do so by heading across to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. It's patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. It's a crowdfunding website that allows uh, people to show their support for independent content creators just like me. You can pledge at various different levels there are different tiers uh, anyone who pledges at the five dollars per month or above level will also get access to when in spain bonus content but if you can't stretch to that no worries at all you can pledge as little as just one dollar to help support this podcast the work that i do and well help secure its long-term future so if you do enjoy this show and you've been listening to it for a while now and you've been thinking about maybe becoming a patron, uh, now is the time to do it. We're talking Malaga and the Costa del Sol with travel journalist Lisa Francesca Nand in the hour ahead. You're listening to When in Spain. 
So let's talk Costa del Sol with Lisa Francesca Nand. Lisa spent her childhood on the Costa del Sol before moving back to the UK, but she still spends as much time as possible every year at her second home in Los Boliches, which is just near Frenjirola on the Costa del Sol, not too far at all from Malaga City. So listen out in the interview for some fantastic recommendations of places to visit and things to do, not only in Malaga City and Frenjirola, but also the wider province of Malaga and indeed the Costa del Sol as well. And of course, we'll be sharing why we both love this part of Spain so much. Vamos! Lisa, thanks so much for taking the time to join the When in Spain podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be on it. I mean, I had the great pleasure of being a guest on your podcast only last week, uh, talking about the coronavirus uh, quarantine here in Spain. I don't really want to talk about that today, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm, ex- I'm quite impressed with your coronavirus accent, because as someone who grew up in Spain, I never really know whether to when to use my accent or when not to use my accent. Like, oh. I wouldn't say I was going to say... Barcelona for the weekend I'd say I was going to Barcelona I'm, I'm a bit funny about yeah. when to use it but I quite yeah. liked your corona anyway it's like yeah. a, it's like a, having a coronita it kind of slips out occasionally I can't sort of control it sometimes I think because I've been so used to hearing it here in Spain pronounced coronavirus uh, yes, I, and cool. whenever I talk about it it's mostly in Spanish here so I've, I've got used to saying it like that instead of coronavirus <laughs> yeah it's the corona coronavirus over here mate coronavirus and you have your own podcast indeed just tell us a bit about uh, your podcast lisa well i have the big travel podcast i do make several of the podcasts for other people but that's my main podcast and on it i explore the life stories of um interesting and well-known people through travel so we've had a lot of very famous people on the uh, the episode before last i was in malaga city center having tapas and cheese and wine with comedian bill bailey and i've had all sorts of uh, of well-known people on explorers journalists authors and usually my podcasts are face to face so you were my first ever remote interview because obviously in the current climate we're going remote now so uh yeah it's about exploring life stories through travel yeah you have some fantastic guests so listeners to this podcast uh, do go and check out uh, lisa's big travel podcast how did you get into podcasting lisa and what is your background Well, I trained as a broadcast journalist. My first job was at the BBC as a journalist on BBC Southern Counties Radio. I was a reporter there for a little while. uh, And then I got my own show, which I was very excited about. I did my own weekend show there, music show. Music is a huge passion of mine. And from there, I was poached to go national on a a national radio station in the UK called TalkSport. I became TalkSport's first ever female presenter and when I was there I fell into travel writing we used to have the uh, Simon Calder who's everyone's go-to travel expert in the media he was our go-to travel expert as well I was going to Cuba on holiday because I used to do a lot of traveling for fun and wrote an article for him in the independent and then from there it sort of snowballed and I became I left TalkSport and became a full-time travel journalist traveling the world making travel videos mainly so it was a bit of a natural step for me to combine my travel journalism them with my radio experience. Now you currently live in London but you actually grew up 
right here in Spain, in the Malaga area or in Malaga City, is that right? In the Malaga area, in Malaga province. So I grew up in a town, well, a subsidiary of a town called uh, Fuengarola. I grew up in a in an area of Fuengarola called Los Boliches, which is an old fishing village. And in fact, when I moved there when I was seven years old, Fuengarola and Los Boliches that have now sort of amalgamated together, they were very much separate little towns separated by fields. You know, I can, I can actually go back to my hometown and say, I remember this when it was all fields. Um, <laughs> so I moved there from the north of England when I was seven years old and my brother Marcus Nand, who's a musician, was nine. And, you know, the coast was a very different place then. It was quite wild and free you know like I said it was very unbuilt up and we had Mm -hmm. the most glorious upbringing we really did we went to English school but other than that you know we had friends from everywhere in the world you know including a lot of Spanish friends and it was a really really truly wonderful place to grow up. imagine I mean what are some of your favorite or happiest memories from your childhood uh, growing up there on the on the Costa del Sol I mean it must have been quite a change from the north of England it was indeed I mean there's there's a there was a curious mix of people at my school a private English school called St Anthony's which is still going I visited it just a few weeks ago um with a view to sort of possibly sending my kids there although it probably doesn't work that well for us um but there was a curious mix of people there and one of my first memories of being at school in Spain um in the early 80s was that apparently on my first day I my mum said to me so who are you sitting next to and I said I'm sitting next to Neil whose daddy's inside for kidnap and robbery with violence (laughs) (laughs) and that was the Costa del Sol it wasn't all the Costa del Sol I come from a very normal family my family work but we had people we had bank robbers children and we had ambassadors children and the normal people in the middle middle and we were very much the normal people in the middle so my childhood is just the stuff of dreams really looking back on it we had so much freedom and so much sunshine and some of my best memories are exploring the wider region of Spain on weekends and on holidays we'd drive to Tarifa and we'd be camping in the sand dunes which you could do back then and the kids we'd just go feral you know we didn't wear shoes for weeks we just ran around on the sand dunes go camping or stay in little little private houses very small cheap Spanish houses we'd rent in places like Sahara de los Atunes on the weekend we'd go to the rivers just around Nijas area near where I live and the rivers then again were very very you know they, they weren't built up at all and we'd have picnics and the children the adults would sit and drink wine and picnic next to the river and the children would be jumping off rocks into waterfalls and you know with dogs and chickens around the place and just having this, this most incredible childhood, like my early childhood there was, it was really lovely. Having lived in Spain for many years, when I see young children out and about in the streets, it seems to me that in Spain, they seem to have a much more of an outdoor lifestyle here and children seem to be included in everyday life with their parents. More than back in the UK, I would say, it's very common to see kids running around outside in the street quite late at night while their parents are maybe sitting outside having a beer with their friends, which I think it's not something you see back in the UK, right? It's curious because I'm a a parent now and I've only been a parent in England and a a child in Spain, although I am in, in Spain every six weeks and we spend the whole 
all of our holidays there so I can see it from both sides really and actually I think it's a lot about attitude and my friends here in London particularly are people that have spent a lot of time traveling I feel that we've brought a little bit of the Spanish lifestyle and the Mediterranean attitude to child rearing here in England however the one thing we don't have is the weather and that makes such a difference it really does because you the outdoor lifestyle is only achievable when you've got the weather and when you're staying up late at night and you do have those glorious heavily scented with Dama de Noche um, Spanish nights you know when everyone's sitting around or people are on the beach and you can smell the sardines and the kids are playing till one or two in the morning you know that that is all facilitated by the weather. You have your second home in Spain in the Malaga province whereabouts do you have your second home and what made you choose that um, particular area and you can you give us a feel of what it's like? So I'll tell you what made me choose the area because it's actually two minutes walk from the school I went to and five minutes walk from my parents apartment it's also maybe seven minutes walk from the beach five at a push and it's the little area of Los Beliches I always sort of warn people about Fuengirola and Los Beliches because it's quite a built-up area it's nothing like Benidorm or anything but it's um it's a place that has a lot of unregulated building in the 70s and indeed the 80s and actually there was a time when I probably wasn't so proud to come from there in the 90s and the early noughties when it got a little bit shabby and it was very sort of British it was very egg and chips and everything like that however <laughs> since the mid noughties and onwards they've really made such an effort to turn the area around and once again I am proud to be from there I actually wrote an article uh, uh in the National Geographic about how Fuengirola has changed dramatically. One thing they have done, I mean, they, they've spruced up the whole seafront, they've um, got loads of palm trees, and it just looks really lovely. But around the back streets, around the church square, Fuengirola Church Square, where before, in the 80s and early 90s, you'd be really hard pressed to find a really good tapas bar, they were still there, you know, the old men's bar, and I love them, but you'd be hard pressed to find those, they were in the back streets. But now, it's, they're all over the place. It's, they've had a massive resurgence. They've paved over the um, lovely little tiny back alleyways, you know, with all the white houses. And they're full of tapas bars, gourmet to cheap and cheerful. And people are out night after night after night. And you get a lot of Spanish tourists there, which I love. Um, so my area of town is Los Beliches, which is about 15 minutes walk from the centre of Fuengirola. And it has its own little centre with loads of really lovely local tapas bars and seafood restaurants. In the beach bar down the bottom of my road is the beach bar I've been going since I was seven to since I was seven years old. And it's, you know, you've got the, the fishing boats outside with the sardines in, that wonderful smell of sardines. And it's just a really lovely beach. It's got, I think it's seven kilometres of beach and beachfront walk. So it's just a really fabulous area now. And I am really proud of it. I went to Ferengarola the first time, I think, uh, two or three years ago. And I have to say that I was really pleasantly surprised because talking of the Costa del Sol and like you you just touched on there over the years it's kind of got a bit of a bad rep maybe because of the kind of history of cheap package holidays and drunk sunburnt Brits and that kind of thing <laughs> but like you said it's really shaking off that stereotype now I think really not just Ferengirola but up and down the Costa del Sol 
Definitely, absolutely. And Malaga City itself has changed beyond recognition. When I was a kid, it was a scary place to go. We used to get the train to the centre to go to El Corte Inglés, and that was it. And even then, going from the train station to El Corte Inglés, there were there was graffiti, there was a lot of poverty, there was heroin addicts on the floor. You know, it was it was really quite scary in some ways. And Malaga City is now absolutely beautiful. You know, it's really scrubbed up and got incredible museums. It's got the Pompidou Centre. The car museum the new area by the port I'm so proud of Malaga city as well it's become a real sort of destination to visit and I think people in the wider world people in the states and the UK who visit Spain are becoming more aware of it as a destination as well obviously you've always had but Barcelona Madrid Granada and Seville but now Malaga I think it is is up there with those as well yeah, I totally agree. I'm glad you said that, actually, because I was going to come on to talk about Malaga City a little bit, because it's the arrival point for lots of people holidaying on the Costa del Sol. But I think, like you said, it went through a phase of being quite overlooked as a as a destination in its own right. You know, people would arrive at Malaga Airport and immediately catch a bus or a train to wherever they were going along the coast. But it's an absolutely beautiful city. I have to say, personally, I think it's one of my, if not my favourite city in Spain. I have to actually let, really? let the listeners into a little secret that we're planning on relocating to Malaga in the next within the next two years yeah we're looking at it now really we're making plans to relocate from Madrid to Malaga we love Malaga the surrounding area fairly compact manageable city there's loads going on there isn't there and like you said there's been lots of gentrification and redevelopment projects going on there in the last maybe five years or so I'm so excited. I have. Is that an exclusive? Is this the first time you've mentioned it? <laughs> that is an exclusive. I can confirm that oh, is an exclusive on the Wedding Spain podcast. That's, that's podcast. brilliant. What, whereabouts in Malaga do you think? Near the city or outskirts of the city or along the coast where I am? Yeah, that's what we're looking at at the moment. I think we're looking sort of Malaga City outskirts. And that's what we're doing our research at the moment, east or west. I mean, I know that as you go from the east of Malaga towards Rincón de la Victoria, it's quite expensive property wise, but it's a, it's a little bit cheaper going going west from Malaga City. So I don't know at the moment. We're, oh, we're, look, we're looking at our so options. Exciting. Well, I'm really pleased that you feel that because, you know, I'm a travel journalist, so I'm looking at it critically as well, you know, from that point of view and and as someone who who lives there and loves it you know I love I love all parts of it I love the griminess and you know that that used to be I still loved it then and I but I love it even more now and as a travel journalist who sees it objectively I see the whole coast as really having turned itself around you know they've worked they've worked hard they really have and some of the laws weren't welcome to a lot of the the locals like the bar owners because I remember they started when I was working when I was at university in Brighton in the UK I'd come back every summer and, and work they, they call it PR but basically I was paid to you know give tickets out and give people free shots and then dance on the bar and pretend I was having the time of my life to be fair sometimes I was having the time of my life let's not don't get me wrong it was really good um yeah. but I remember back in those days the the laws about the bars were changing because there was a new mayoress in town and people got very angry because she started to like clamp down on the bars and their opening times you know and that really did affect a lot of people's living but it did also you know turn it around to make it more of a daytime destination and you know take away a little bit of the trashiness I'm, again I you know I like the trashiness I don't mind <laughs> I love Spanish culture. I love Spanish food. I love ferias. I love going out into the mountains. I also love dancing on a bar and having cocktails and drinking with a load of tourists, you know, and I'm quite happy to openly admit that. 
I think people maybe coming to Spain for the first or second time always think of Barcelona, maybe Valencia, Seville, Cordoba, Madrid. I mean, even though I think Madrid as a capital city is somewhat overlooked as a top yes, city destination true. in Spain, you know. It is. I was in Madrid for the for the first time in a long time, just in, in October uh, 2019. My brother was doing a little world tour and I went to see him there and, and I was just so impressed with Madrid. I, the last time I went there, I was in my mid-20s and I wasn't really, you know, going there for the culture. <laughs> and uh, I was so impressed. It's a lovely, I'd say small, you probably don't think, think it's small, but coming from London, it feels like a small capital city. And I yeah. just think it's, it's beautiful, you know, the wide boulevards, the beautiful old classic buildings I was just really impressed you know the one thing I didn't like in Madrid that I was really surprised about coffee in Madrid is not good not compared to down on the coast in Malaga I don't know how you feel about that. Am I dissing your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a huge coffee fan. I love my coffee. Um, I, I would agree with you, I think, actually. I mean, I've had better coffee in other cities in Spain, smaller towns, and definitely in the, on the south coast um, and other parts of Spain. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how they do it, but I do know, I don't know if this is an Andalusian thing or a Malagenian thing, something pe- peculiar to, to Malaga province or to, to the wider Andalusia region. Um, but we have a lot of different ways of having coffee. We have, you know, your yeah. sombra, your nube, your cortado and, and all sorts of ones that I don't even drink because I like quite a milky coffee. And coffee yeah. is just one of my favourite things about going home to Malaga. It's lovely. It's really nice. So I was yeah. so looking forward to a special Spanish coffee when I went to Madrid and I tasted it. I was like, no, what have they done? What have they done? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it'd be uniform across the country. And I love, like you said, the variety of coffees they have that I've seen in Malaga, for example. You see these menus and they have little pictures of the glass, don't they? Uh, with almost like stripes of brown and white and different percentages of milk and coffee with all these amazing names. Like I think there's one, Soli Sombra or something like Sun and Shade. And right. Yeah, Sombra is, is Shadow and there's Nube, which is Cloud. That's what I, I go for. It's actually even milkier than a than a sombra you know this is making I'm really enjoying our conversation but it's kind of making me a little bit homesick as well especially because on Friday I should be going to Spain for Easter and obviously I'm not I know there's bigger things at stake than travel but those of us who like to travel are feeling are feeling the pain I think you know feeling that our wings are clipped a little bit you know when you have like a if you have any meditation or massage or whatever and they say imagine you're in this happy a place where you're you're happy and um my my place is actually lying on the beach in Los Beliches in the days when I didn't really have a care in the world and now I've got the most beautiful children and a great career and everything but you know juggling all that stuff is hard work and my happy place is when I used probably when I used to go home for my university holidays I'd be lying on the beach reading a book knowing that my mum and dad were up you know five minutes walk away probably getting dinner ready that night I'd be going out and seeing all my friends and you know dancing on the bar and having the time of my life and those lovely balmy balmy evenings yeah Going back to Malaga again, I'd like to focus on Malaga City a little bit more. If talk a little bit about other places along the Costa del Sol in a moment. But if you could list five top places to, to visit or to things to do in Malaga City, what would you recommend? I've got a few up my sleeve, but where would you start? My first ones are about eating and drinking, as they always are, because I think that's the way you really get to know a place and know the people. And probably the most famous um, restaurant in Malaga, definitely the most famous restaurant in Malaga is El Pimpi. Have you been to El Pimpi? 
Yeah, El Pimpi. I was wondering if you were going to say El Pimpi or not, yeah. For anyone who hasn't been there, it's this beautiful old Spanish bodega-style tapas bar. So you've got all the old the bodega barrels, the big barrels of um, sherry and, and wine. I think they have sherry there. And it's visited by every single famous person who ever drops into Malaga. So there's photos on the wall, of particularly Antonia Banderas, who's from Malaga, and lots of other famous people. But it's weird because every time I go there, they keep adding a room to it. I don't know where they're getting all this space from. They're taking over buildings. So it's a bit of a labyrinth now. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way to describe El Pimpi as a labyrinth of all these like, little interconnected rooms with kind of vaulted ceilings and little corridors and steps up and down. It's a really kind of higgledy-piggledy place, but it's, it's quite big, actually. You could almost get lost in there. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't as big. And, you know, with the very first time I went there, and like I said, they keep on finding extra space, but it's still atmospheric. And you've got these beautiful flamenco posters and festival posters going back to the 30s and beyond. It's a really atmospheric place. It's kind of a, a cosy feel to it. But it's very lively, quite noisy. And I think a really great experience for anyone going to Malaga. Every time I go to Malaga, I always make an excuse to make a little stop off there. And like you said, yeah, it's these photos everywhere. Walls covered with, uh, you know, these old photos of celebrities and bullfighters and people who've been there over the years. A great choice, El Pimpi. As well as El Pimpi, there's, you just go down the back street of Calle Larios and there's just so many nice and atmospheric bars and restaurants. Really really lovely ones but one of the other things I would suggest when you go to Malaga is to go there's a growing um what is the collect what's the collective noun for bars I don't know but grow a growing trend let's go for a growing trend in rooftop (laughs) bars and some that's that's something that wasn't there years ago but suddenly these places are realizing that rooftops at bars are fashionable and they're going to bring people in and now that I can think of about five or six really great I have no idea the names of them but just google Malaga rooftop bars even a lot of the hotels have them and they have these great views of all the rooftops of the city and sometimes the cathedral because the cathedral is very strange in Malaga is in the way that it's got no space around it in front of it it's got a very small square on either side with some gardens but you can't really get back it's not like St Paul's Cathedral next to the river where you can actually you know near the river where you can have a, a sort of view of it from around the place it's quite sort of squashed into the streets. I was in a wedding a Spanish wedding in Malaga I think two years ago and uh, the night before the wedding lots of the guests met up and we went to exactly to one of these rooftop terraces and I think probably the one you're thinking of I mean I there are many of them Top of a hotel, can't remember the name of the hotel. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. But yeah, um, great views of the Cathedral of Malaga lit up at night when we were there. The, the cathedral's kind of curious, actually, isn't it? Because it's called La Manguita. The one-armed woman, because one-armed they, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't finished, I think. That was it. It was meant to have two towers. But I think that the reasons why it doesn't have two towers are still debated, but only one was finished. Um, it's Renaissance and Baroque style, as I recall. I mean, these are like the key attractions of Malaga. But have you been to the Alcazaba? The Alcazaba, yeah, which is actually quite close to El Pimpi, uh, the access to it. It is uh, indeed, it's, yes. It's the best preserved Moorish fortress palace in Spain, apparently. And it is really beautiful. Yeah. And you get some sweeping views of the city from there, too. If it's, if it's particularly hot, it might be something you don't feel like doing, but fantastic views across the city. I think from up there, you can look down on the bullring or yeah. you can see inside it. Port's been really spruced up. Again, that was a bit of a mess when, you know, up until not so many years ago. But now it's a really spruced up area with lots of a really nice walkway along it and lots of really nice bars and restaurants. 
Yeah, it's called Muelle Uno. It's sort of like a boardwalk, I suppose. Done a good job on that. The other place, which is being gentrified slowly and has been, I kind of think, rebranded as um, Soho, right? And this is kind of part of the city near the train station as you come towards the centre. And it's kind of becoming famous for its graffiti and street art. Yes, it is. And I was there not so long ago. They've got some really great bars. Actually, one of the the big bars in the centre is the... Cruz Campo bar you know the the beer people and uh, they have a a really great range of bands and obviously lots of beer Um, and around that sort of area that is the Soho area not too far from the train station yeah it's really cool I mean there's other areas that you know they're just sort of springing up all over the city and I guess that's what happens with gentrification obviously there's negative aspects of gentrification for the locals sometimes as well but they do seem to be doing it um, quite sensitively I think one of the things that people also don't realize about Malaga it's actually a beach city as well yes um, important to mention yes the beach the beach is is really you know a great little place there you've got lots of chiringuitos you know the beach bars and the promenade it's very long and there's um there's there's botanic gardens there's so there's so many things to do there it's, it's got it all like you said it does depend on the weather if you go in the middle of the summer you're probably not going to do much except flop around the beach and the pool and go out late at night and have, you know, tappers till the early hours of the morning. That's why everything goes so late in Spain, because it's just too hot to do anything in the daytime. Great thing about Malaga, the beach is actually part of the city, really. You haven't got any long walk. Malagueta, it's called, with the uh, white uh, stone sign which stands on the beach. And you mentioned the botanical gardens. Yeah, one of my favourite places in Malaga to to walk is the park that is just next to the harbour, Parque de Malaga. The other thing I would mention is like heading east from the centre of Malaga and it's walkable, a place called El Balneario del Carmen, which is a really interesting restaurant, which is right next to the sea, famous for its seafood. And so you can sit inside, but it's got also this big, big terrace, which looks out onto the sea as well. And it's uh, yeah, a really impressive place to go and eat. That sounds amazing. Do you know, many years ago, the Spanish Tourist Board had a long-running campaign called Spain Passion for Life. Do you remember that? I remember that, yeah. Spain Passion for Life. I loved that campaign. And I remember I was, you know, obviously I I grew up in Spain, so I I had Spain very much in my blood even at that point. But I was living back in England. And I just remember watching that advert on TV, Spain, Passion for Life, and all the colours and the, you know, the sights and the sounds and the dancing and the restaurant and the ferries and everything. And it just it just really summed it up for me. And I think Malaga is one of those places that really has that passion for life. Actually, nowhere is that summed up more accurately than Malaga Feria. Oh, my goodness. Malaga Feria is incredible. Yeah, wonderful experience. What I love about it is the live music that you have in the centre of the city, the squares and the streets. for anyone who hasn't been is in august i think it's either the second or third week in august usually there's a there's a day it falls on it has to be a certain sunday or something like that but it is just the when malaga erupts into just one massive party and there is a special ferrier ground outside the city so a festival ground where they have 
the, the rides and everything. But I've never actually been to that because the city centre is where the party is at. And the whole of the city is covered in, in flags, in bunting, which it is for most of the summer to keep to shade the, uh, the lovely alleyways. And all the narrow passageways and little streets around the cathedral, all the bars are spilling out on the streets. There's people in flamenco dress. There's music everywhere, there's dancing and everyone's sharing little glasses of the local sweet wine or sherry. Uh, people sometimes wander around with leather uh, necklaces that have a little shot glass on them and people just top it up for you and everyone shares food and it's just it's just the best party it really is. I was there, the summer just gone, I was there every summer basically I've been there for the last five years or it's just such fun. One of my favourite ferias in Spain, I think. The zone where they have the feria set up with all the little casetas, the little marquees with music yeah. and dancing and bars and things in, which is sort of out of the centre. You kind of have to get a little bus there. And I went there for the first time, I think, yeah, I think about three years ago. But I have to say, I preferred the atmosphere in the actual city centre. And you mentioned the sweet wine, which is everywhere. Everyone's drinking little shot glasses of the what's it called Malaga Virgen this sort of sweet red fortified yeah. wine which you see everywhere Malaga Virgen is the local sweet wine but a lot of people drink Cartojal which is a, a local sweetish sherry in fact I'm as I sit here in my the top floor of my house in London I'm yeah. looking at a drinks fridge which has one two three four five six bottles of Cartojal which we have brought back at various points it remains unopened for a reason because when you you know when you buy bottles of alcohol abroad and you bring them home they don't quite taste the same but i tell you what the longer this lockdown goes on the might crack open a bottle of cartohal tonight Moving away from Malaga City, could we do a little roundup of places which you would say are must-see places in the wider Costa del Sol area or indeed in Malaga province? I know we often think of the beach, but there are also wonderful places that are worth visiting inland from the coast as well. Malaga City aside, where else would you recommend? Fuengarola, where I'm from, and also if you really want to, you could pop up to, say, Torremolinos and Beno Magna. Torremolinos used to get a bit of a bad rep, but actually, you know, a lot of a lot of it is really nice, and you you realise when you go to these places that they become popular for a reason. You know, you really do. Um, there's something that's quite scarce in Spain um, is green space. I mean, obviously you've got green space in the mountains, but they don't have as many parks as we do here, certainly in the UK. There's a beautiful park that I've only discovered recently since I've had kids my kids are now five and seven and actually it was only developed in the 1990s but it's near Benel Madonna just below um, the train station in, in Arroyo de la Miel I always get the train there I never even hire a car when I go on the coast these days and mm. just walk down 20 minutes and it's a park called Parque Paloma and it's this beautiful green expanse acres and acres of grass which is lovely and uh, particularly on a on a, a sunny day when you need some shelter lots of beautiful trees there's a boating lake, there's peacocks running around, free range chickens, um, rabbits. My kids absolutely love chasing the rabbits. Um, there's three bars and restaurants in there and a really great kids playground and everything. And that to me is something that I feel was missing on the coast because there certainly isn't a big park like that in Fungarola and also urban areas, you've got to go to Marbella. Marbella, I've had a bit of a love-hate relationship with it over the years. I know a lot of people who say the same, actually, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting 
place. It's got it's got those sort of it's very glitzy and glamorous and moneyed on one side, but some of that money is good money and some of it's bad money, <laughs> you know, in many ways. The sweater Banus, you know, the big famous ports with the, the massive yachts there. It's absolutely worth a visit. It's worth a visit. I liked Marbella actually the few times I've been and I was pleasantly surprised the first time I went to Marbella um, was the old town. The old town is actually really pretty. It's like the sort of typical whitewashed low rise, little narrow, you know, buildings, little narrow streets and beautiful squares with the orange trees, which I didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Plaza de los Naranjos. And it is. It's absolutely beautiful. I, I do. I do love Marbella. I just don't like going out there as much as I do somewhere like Fuengarola and Malaga, which are a little bit more down to earth and homely for me. But I think it's a beautiful place and well worth the visit. Like you said, there's a lot of amazing places in the coast. You can't miss Mijas, which is a beautiful, beautiful village. And that's only 10 minutes above Fuengarola. It's Mijas Pueblo is just very, very pretty and whitewashed, lovely bars and restaurants. But a bit of a funny thing about the donkeys you know tourists riding donkeys in the heat I'm not a big fan of that but they have become a big image of, of, of Mijas but lesser known places Ronda is very much a, a, a really beautiful town to visit it's got the El Tajo the um, a massive gorge that in the middle of it with a bridge in fact in the civil war they threw people over the uh, the uh, into the gorge which must have been a, a grisly death Hemingway wrote about it Laurie Lee wrote about it you know it's it, it's a you know it's famous in a literary sense as well I would give you my one tip for a really off the beaten track place to go is a it's just about if you drive down towards Gibraltar and sort of head up into the countryside it's about sort of an hour outside Gibraltar maybe probably about an hour from Marbella as well if you look at it that way and Mm. it's a little town built in the center of castle walls it's called El Castillo de Castellar if you can imagine a whitewashed tiny little Spanish village but it's built within the castle walls and in the 60s the original Spanish inhabitants were moved from the inside of the castle because it wasn't great living conditions they didn't have you know sort of all mod cons to a, oh. a very pretty looking village actually that they built specifically down the road just a couple of miles down the road and then into this castle moved lots of international hippie types so that they were in the 60s they you know when you go there you can still smell the marijuana sort of wafting around because you know they're still very much <laughs> a hippie sort of vibe to it and um my friend steve who's a family friend a friend of my parents runs a restaurant there in the walls he's got this beautiful house in the castle walls that he just he doesn't have a menu he forages he finds whatever's in season you give him a call and you say steve we're coming for lunch and he says okay you know i'll rustle something up and he rustles something up he does i went to his daughter's wedding there a couple of years ago and it was the most beautiful affair because the whole castle just erupted into a big party there were flowers everywhere the restaurants were decked with candles you know we had to use every single restaurant up there Paco de Lucia came from a little town just down the road from that and he used to be a regular visitor to Castellar in fact there's a bar there dedicated to him and it's the most beautiful little Spanish bar and the last time I was there I just popped in and I got a little tray of olives some red wine some cheese and it's next to this incredibly beautifully green sea green teal green reservoir I would say and you look down on this reservoir and the views just 360 views from this castle and it's just the most incredible really really special place and I, I want you all to go there but I kind of like want it to be a secret as well 
What a fantastic recommendation, Lisa. Thank you for sharing it. Um, I haven't heard of the place, no. I've just been having a look now while you were uh, talking about it on the map. But uh, it looks absolutely stunning. Talking of places that are sort of a little bit out off the beaten track and inland, um, and I'm sure you know of it, is um, the El Caminito del Rey. It's a trail through a gorge on suspended walkways. Incredible walk. It's um, it's about 20 kilometers northwest of Malaga, and the nearest little town is called El Chorro. Yeah, El, 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 yes, it's El Chorro. Um, the Caminito del Rey. Have you ever been? Have you ever done it? I haven't. It's only been opened for a few years. Um, I remember going up there when it, before it was open and it was only half finished and it's only been reopened for the for the last few years. So I haven't managed to go again. This has been in the time where I've had very young children. I looked at it this year and your children have to be eight to go. So either I take one of them or wait another three years until the five year old is eight. But I'd love to do it. But I do know the area well because I've spent a lot of time camping around the lakes and I used to go up there on motorbikes as well when I I was uh, in my in my misspent youth and uh, and spent a lot of time up up around the lakes and I remember looking up and seeing the path going because you've got these sheer cliff faces going down into the lakes and the path is just this rickety old path sort of clinging to it and yeah. I'm sure it's better built now and it's meant to be very safe but I'd absolutely love to do it and I really can't wait to do it yeah it really is a beautiful gorge and you're you're kind of suspended you know i think about a hundred feet above this uh the river you need a head for height there are parts of it where you know wow it kind of blows you away you sort of like clinging to a, a, a cliff face almost <laughs> but it's well worth it it's a wonderful walk really beautiful and you have the eagles circling overhead and the sound of the water you have to buy tickets because they only allow a certain uh, number of people to do it at one time because uh, it's now sort of gated each end apart from the, the vertigo inducing heights of the walk it's a fairly leisurely stroll and you can do it in about an hour and a half two hours um so yeah that would be my recommendation for something out in the country uh, near malaga in in malaga province in terms of food and drinking on the Costa del Sol, seafood is is uh, kind of the obvious choice. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, the sardines, the what they call espeto, uh, which you see these uh, guys on the beach barbecuing sardines on wooden sticks. The smell for me, I can just imagine it now sitting out there on late afternoon and the smell of that grilling on the... the oh, so evocative. I mean, yeah. I'm quite unusual in Spain is that I don't eat meat. I do eat fish and seafood, but I don't eat meat. And that is quite unusual in Spain. But I'm finding more and more it's it's easy to get vegetables. That's something that used to be quite thin on the ground in Spain. And you'd have like a mixed salad to start with. Um, and then but the, the main course was always like, you know, a, a meat or a fish based one. But um, I'm finding like even if I go to a restaurant and order a plate of roasted vegetables, it might not be exciting to some people. But I do really like just having that sometimes that you can get a really nice plate of grilled vegetables, you know, because you have the garlic and, you know, the, sometimes the lemon juice and the olive oil and all those flavors. Uh, of Andalusia and, and Spain and beyond um, you know it's just really lovely and like I said like even in the centre of Fuengarola now it's I can't even count the, the tapas bars and some are really gourmet you know with uh, things like um, octopus carpaccio and uh, really lovely cheeses and champagne and there's always there's one in particular I'm thinking about in this church square so the, the church square in Fangarola is uh, in in the center and then just yeah. off it behind the post office there's a yeah. square called Plaza 
Plaza de los Chinoros. Yes, now, when yes. I was a kid living there, it was the fish market. That's where the fish market was. Um, but gradually, the the post office, uh, the fish market was knocked down, and the post office was built. But there's still a little square there. Now, about I think it's about 10, 15 years ago now. Suddenly, one restaurant, one tapas place opened in that square. There was always one, but a, an, another one opened that was more. It was sort of more gourmet, and that's called uh, Casa Colón, and when that opened and started doing really well it almost like started an avalanche of tapas bars because they just kept on opening and opening and opening and there's always queues outside Casa Colón and justifiably so because the food there is really really good but from there radiating out from there in 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 the Plaza de los Chinoros is just so many scores and scores and scores of tapas bars and also unmissable in terms of food is just around the corner from there opposite the entrance to the post office is a place which has probably only been open for about eight years or something I don't know I lose track of time it's called La La Galleria did you go to La Galleria? Ah yes it's like a sort of indoor food market basically you have different stalls selling cooked food and but there's like a central communal eating area and you can kind of buy things from each place so that that's the place exactly what it is yeah it's a, like a galleria obviously means gallery and it's yeah. almost like you know, in paris you get the sort of gallery you know shopping arcades and you get them there's some in london as well and in, in other cities too and spanish cities as well um but it is it's it's been purpose built it used to be a car park and um they've galleries <laughs> they've put a, a, a lovely glass roof on top of it quite yeah. a decorative glass roof and there's lots of little different stalls and you go and buy, you know, seafood in one, beer in one, wine in one. They've got all sorts of different nationalities of food and everyone just grabs their stool and sits and chats. My ideal night out in Frangorola is going for tapas in Plaza de los Chinoros, tapas in La Galleria and then onwards towards some. Um, well, actually, one of my favourite places to, to go has been an Irish bar called Pogues or Pogs, actually, as it is now, uh, where they have bands late into the night and you can dance. You know, it's really easy to go out and dance. And I love some, love some live music. And, you know, there's a bit of a trashy side. But like I said, I love I love embrace. I love a night out when you can embrace the Spanish culture and sit and, you know, eat and drink and have tapas and then go and dance and drink beer and have a few shots and, you know, come home, stagger home at five or six o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's lovely that you can have that mix actually in on the costa del sol isn't it in those kinds of places as well i've got a recommendation which i'm going to share now for me it's one of my go-to restaurants in malaga city every time we go to malaga we go and it you know you kind of have to book ahead but it's uh, not expensive called taberna garcia it's just next to almost plaza de la merced it's not one of the restaurants on plaza de la merced but it's a little street off the plaza called calle san juan de letran but i cannot sing this restaurant's praises enough it's small it's intimate it's kind of spanish fusion so it does all of the sort of classic dishes lots of seafood but it also has uh, south american influences i think it's a husband and wife team that run it are adorable super friendly fantastic service good value easy to miss i would say quite an unassuming facade and small door but the food is fantastic so just to say if you haven't been next time you're in uh, malaga city lisa or for any of the listeners looking for a nice intimate uh, restaurant experience check out garcia
I don't think I have been. I mean, I've been to so many that I wouldn't necessarily know the name of it, but um, I don't think I have been, and that sounds lovely. I will, I will definitely make a note of that. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe when you're in Malaga and we're all allowed out again, maybe we can go there together. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll hold you to that. Many listeners to this podcast may be thinking of buying a second home in Spain and sort of dividing their time between the two places. Give us an idea of what that's like, how you decide when to spend time in Spain and in the UK. I mean, I, obviously you have children, so I guess that's a factor as well. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I remember reading many years ago, there's a, an English uh, journalist called Robert Elms and he's on BBC London and he's a big Spanglophile. He has a house in, I think it's in the Cadiz area, Costa de la Luz, in that sort of area. And I remember reading him saying that he's got a house there and actually, even though he loved his house there, he went, he goes there every holiday. Actually, the one of the sort of middle middle class perils middle class problems as it were of having a second home is it means you always want to go there so you don't go to other places so I don't know whether that's a pro or a con of having a second home it has it sounds very ungrateful of me um and we do have a second home because it's where I'm from you know it's not I, I don't feel like um you know I, I don't want to be judged for being too too well to do or, or posh here it was a no-brainer for us when we had the, the the money you know to to buy a house um in in Spain you know in Los Beliches where I grew up and near all my friends and family and I'm very grateful that my husband agreed to go there too because it's not where he's from um, yeah. although he's been going there for, for many years as well. I think the pros of having the second home we've already talked about it's amazing you know we well, not only do we love Spain and love everything it's got to offer, but we've got a home there you know so when we go we just take a little suitcase full of clothes we've got everything we need from our kettle to the toys for the children to also friends you know I've got people I see there more often than I actually see people here in London because everyone's got such busy lives here you often have to you know make dates in in, in advance to see friends here and there we've got friends the kids have got friends you know we've got the beautiful laid-back lifestyle and we're just on the beach and have that outdoor lifestyle all the pros we talked about um, you know of Spain are there the cons are that you know really from an emotional point of view I feel that, that my heart is in two places I really do and I don't feel I get there enough because we like a lot of people with children um, are restricted by the school holidays and we, we do take the mickey a little bit you know I, I do occasionally call in sick a couple of days before cause it, just because it makes a massive difference to the cost of flights but we can't continue to do that and it, to me I feel like I'm not in Spain enough and this sounds ridiculous because I'm there for six weeks in the summer I'm there for 10 days in October for half term I'm there for two and a half weeks at Christmas I'm there for 10 days in February for another half term and then usually two and a half weeks at Easter oh and then another half term in the middle of that and you know so I'm there for quite probably like 12 weeks a year but yeah. it doesn't feel like enough and it feels like my heart is in two places but I, I would fully recommend it you know if you love Spain you love Spain and to have a second home there is just you know it really we're, we're so lucky and I I do really really appreciate it. What do you do with your house when you're in Spain when you're not there do you does someone look after it do you rent it out do, I mean how does that work? 
I've been toying with the idea of renting it out because obviously it'd be quite nice to to get some income from it. Um, legally, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through right now. You have to, you know, they've been very strict and, and rightly so, I guess, because, you know, the Airbnb econ- economy has quite decimated a lot of places like Barcelona in terms of, you know, the locals being priced out of the market and yeah. being, you know, sort of overrun with tourism. You know, something I talk about on the Big Travel Podcast a lot is that we love we love travel, but, you know, over tourism is a, a significant issue, sadly, in many places these days. So I understand why they've got to have tight controls on accommodation. But there are quite a lot of hoops to jump through in, if you want to rent it out legally. And if I did rent it out, I would want to do it legally. We have someone checking in on it. But at the moment, it's not rented out. I can't wait to be back there. You know, I hope one day you and I are sitting in that bar in Malaga. Or like, I'll take you on a tapas crawl of Frangarola. So, Lisa... Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining the When in Spain podcast. It's been a very enjoyable experience. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you to you, Lisa. And uh, hopefully we will one day meet up in Malaga or on the Costa del Sol somewhere in the sunshine. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm off to pour myself a glass of red wine and imagine we're there. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. This is When in Spain with Paul Burge. I've been talking with Lisa Francesca Nand. So if you'd like to listen to Lisa's fantastic The Big Travel podcast, uh, exploring life stories through travel, the website you need is thebigtravelpodcast.com. I'll drop a link also in the show notes of this podcast episode as well. And of course, you can find The Big Travel podcast on all of the usual podcast platforms, uh, wherever you normally listen to podcasts, or indeed this podcast, you will find The Big Travel podcast as well. Fantastic podcast, great guest do go and give it a listen. So that will just about do it for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Lisa. Just a quick note to say before I go, not only can you find When in Spain as a podcast, but you can come and join us on Instagram. Come and follow us on Instagram, When in Spain 1. And if you'd like to get sociable with other When in Spain listeners, then head across to the When in Spain Facebook group, uh, where you can join for free. We have about 3,000 members in the group at the moment, like-minded Spain fans and indeed When in Spain podcast listeners. It's a place for you to ask questions to other members, share content, photos, news articles, anything that is relevant and related to Spain. And exciting news. Last week, I launched two new When in Spain Facebook groups. Uh, One is When in Spain, the book club. And the other is When in Spain, Filmoteca. And they are groups that are in the process of getting more and more members. And uh, what we're going to do with the book group, uh, I think next week we're going to choose a book to read together uh, in our free time uh, over the next two months. And then we're going to meet back in the When in Spain Facebook book group uh, page. And we're going to share our thoughts on the book as well and what we thought about it. It's also a place for anyone to share any uh, recommendations of books about Spain. I must point out that the books uh, all have to be to do with Spain. They don't have to be in Spanish, but they uh, have to be about Spain and they can be fiction or non-fiction. And I'm uh, planning to draw up an ultimate list of books about Spain. 
Uh, the Filmoteca group is about Spanish cinema. So if you're a film buff and you particularly like Spanish cinema or indeed Spanish language cinema, uh, this is the group for you. And what we're going to do each month is among the group members, we're going to pick a film to watch and we're going to give ourselves, I think, a month to see it. And then we're going to meet back in the When in Spain Filmoteca group and share our thoughts about the film. So head across to those groups and join up if you think you'd be interested in taking part. And just before I go, don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast show, please do consider signing up to become a Well in Spain patron. Easy and quick to do. It's safe. It's secure. Uh, just head across to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash when in Spain. Sign up. I will be extremely, incredibly, amazingly grateful uh, for you to sign up and become a When in Spain patron to make a small pledge to help support the future of this podcast and the time that I dedicate to putting it together. It's, uh, as I've mentioned many times before, it's a passion project of mine that I do in my uh, free time, although it does take up quite a lot of my time, uh, something I do alongside my day job, um, but I would like to dedicate more time to doing it. And the only way that I can realistically do that that is through your kind and generous support by becoming a patron. So please consider signing up at patreon.com to help support the work that I do. I shall leave it there for this week. Listeners, wherever you are around the world, stay safe, stay well, stay indoors. And until next week, hasta luego. Hasta luego.